All right, another walk down memory lane for one of the uh, greatest teams in Bears history, the 63 champions. First championship since 1946. They won four of their last five games, including a 3-0 regular season finale against the Lions. Um, and then from what we heard, gentlemen, it, many of you guys said it was one of the toughest games ever played, that game against the Detroit Lions. Thanks for being here. And uh, Tom and I, both, I was telling Johnny, you can see the 1963 game in its entirety on YouTube. And to take the time to watch those guys play back then was, was a treat. We'll start with uh, Mike because, like we said last night, your play as a tight end is probably the most underrated aspect of your football career, in my opinion. And being on that championship team and you coming there a couple of years earlier, it, it changed the face of the offense, didn't it? Well, I don't, you know, we had a block. We, we were tight ends and we blocked. They don't block anymore. They receive, but we block. And we blocked a lot and we had great running backs. You know, I had Willie Gallimore, I played, I mean, we had, we had great backs. Uh, we had a quarterback that liked to throw the football, Bill Wade, so he threw the ball to Johnny. Every once in a while, he'd throw it to me, once in a while, but not very much. He threw it to Johnny all the time, because Johnny was faster, and he got open more than I did. Yeah, come on. You tore it up. No, I didn't. You tore it up. It did he not tear it up? But, hey, coach, I... I saw highlights of you. I, I saw highlights of Coach Dicka where you're lined up almost what by a wide, you know, six, seven yards off of your offensive tackle. So you weren't always right there with your nose in the dirt. Hey, I, I was a tight end. That's all I know. Actually, uh, Mike and probably John Mackey, if you remember him with Baltimore, you know, before in the 60s, before the 60s, uh, your tight end was usually tall guy catch the look in, look past six, eight yards for the first down. Mike, who had decent speed, he had good speed, especially when he was younger, and he, he changed the game. He and John Mackey changed the game. They became threats downfield, and that, that's, that's what changed the game. And the other thing that changed the game was putting the smaller guys out as wide receivers. It usually... Uh, you know, uh, usually the smaller guys were running backs, and they put him out as wide receivers. Changed well, the game. Well, John, John, I tell you, I was really fast. I was a real fast tight end. I, I outran everybody. Hey, how are the, you know when we look at that game, Bob? How are the field conditions? Like, where did your spikes get into the ground? Did you have a choice of shoes to wear? The field conditions. They had hay on the field, and then they tried to heat and then took all the hay off the field before you played obviously that, that was for that was for the uh, for the championship game they, they put hay on the field and they put huge uh, tarps across the field and huge blowers and so for about a, two weeks before the game they, they put these blowers and blew the tarps high so when uh, uh, we, we took the field uh, on, on the champ on the championship game uh, the turf was in good shape it was hard it was as in, this though huh? no it, it got hard the second half yeah it was it was still pretty good uh, the first half but in, uh, in, in the narration of the game they referred to the wrigley field as a modern day structure did it feel that way to you guys or not, did it not not really especially if you uh, saw the locker rooms uh the facilities weren't weren't the best but uh, it was what we had to live with i just want to say one thing uh, you're talking about mike ditka and the tight end uh we played the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, the Sunday after the assassination of Ted Kennedy, or uh, President uh, Kennedy, John Kennedy. And it was a tough game, and we were losing, and Mike Ditka caught a short pass, and everybody on the Pittsburgh Steelers had a shot at this guy. There it is, Bob. He ran over about three or four people. Three or four is more than that. One, two, three. Four, five, five six, six, seven. seven. And that, that, that catch and run, <laughs> that catch and run enabled us to kick a field goal that tied the game, and that's why we ended up in the championship. That's right. 
You were tuckered out. Not too much speed. <laughs> well, I no, you were tired. I, I didn't. I, the breakaway speed came later in life. <laughs> I didn't have it then. <laughs> but when you see that run, set the dynamics of that because you you admitted you were you were out of gas. A different play was called, and you said, "Hey, give me a short pass," and well, bam. Yeah, I can tell exactly. I don't know if you remember, John, but Bill Bill asked me. He said, "What well, can you run?" I said, no, I can't run. I said, throw me a short pass and I'll try to run with it. And he right. threw me a look in and I ran with it. I, I, I'm serious. I was dead. That, that, that's the first time that I had been back to Pittsburgh and I played in front of the people. That's where I went to school and everything. But my family, everybody's there. I mean, I was so hyped up for the game. And the Steelers were a good football team. They were a good football team. They had a good defense. But uh, it, it just, uh, I got lucky. They, 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 they didn't have tackling practice that week. Everybody missed me. But, but the reality of it, and we have a graphic of this as well, with, with the assassination, how difficult was it to play, guys? How hard was it to play that game for you? Well, we really didn't know that we were going to play the game until uh, uh, Saturday morning when we came to practice. We were coming off the practice field on Friday, and the clubhouse uh, guy, uh, Bill Martell, said uh, the president's been shot. And so before we, after everybody showered, uh, they still didn't know if the game was going to be played or not. So Hallis said, uh, you pack your bags uh, as if we're going to be going on the trip. And we never really knew that we were going until we came to practice on Saturday morning. And uh, going there, you know, it was just very quiet. Uh, the stadium was dead silence. There was no public address, there was no bands, there was no noise, there was nothing. It was just, just eerie as heck, you know. You share the same memory of that, Johnny? Yes, uh, nobody really wanted to play, but we just, uh, it was decided that we were gonna play and uh, the decision was made and so we did it. And uh, I'll never forget that, that whole weekend. It, it, the United States of America was really affected by that. Bob, you're also quoted uh, on the way to the stadium Lee Harvey Oswald, you heard, was shot, and I exactly. read this, that um, Mr. Hallis smashed the radio. Right. Explain exactly. what happened. Well, we were uh, driving over to the, uh, uh, from the, from the hotel to the stadium, and somebody had the uh, radio on in the luggage rack, and uh, they were talking about the transfer of Lee Har Harvey Oswald from one prison to the next, you know, and so we were listening to this intently all the way from the hotel to the, to the, the field. And just before we were, got to the field, just as the bus was stopping, the guy was announcing how Harvey Oswald was being transferred and all and everything. And all of a sudden he said, he's been shot. He's been shot. You know, that Hallis jumps up and he says, we got a game to play. Shut that blank radio off. Bango. It was over, you know. Crazy time. Yeah. yeah. You know, every time I sit see Bob you got to remember football was a little different back in most of our playing days the quarterback called the plays now maybe from the sidelines they would send in a player with a play but the quarterback called the plays and of course they they ran a lot more back in those days than they passed and I'd be right next to Bob in the huddle and Ditka was close by and we with the quarterback calling the plays you could say hey let's do this we could talk in the huddle and, you know, sometimes I'd say, let's, let's do this, call this, and Bob would say, hell no, we're going to run the ball. we got to get three yards, you know. So it was more fun in the huddle than nowadays. The play comes into the quarterback, right? And, you know, that's the play that the coach has called, and so nobody says anything, you know. I'm, I don't think they say that much in the huddle like, like we used to. We used to have fun in the huddle, right? You have fun in the huddle? You said you guys had fun in the huddle. Was it fun? I didn't pay much attention in the huddle. <laughs> Johnny, did you come out of a three-point stance as a wide receiver back then? No. Because I, I thought I saw some highlights of, of you extended out there, and it seemed like that was a transition in the NFL that wide receivers made from a three-point stance into a two-point stance. But you were also a great track man. Well, I think they, when it first, see, Back, the wide receiver was called a flanker in, in those days. A flanker is the same thing as a wide receiver. And, and 
uh, I had been a running back, for the, so I was kind of used to going in a three-point stance. But once I was there for a few, you know, for a training camp of one season, I said, no, you got to stand up. And the, the thing is, you can get a much quicker start. When you stand up, to start running, you have to kind of put your feet back and you, you don't get off as quickly. It's kind of hard to explain. But, but did your track background help you in those terms of getting yeah. off the ball quicker? Yeah, it, it helped you, especially as a running back, yes. Uh, as a wide receiver, uh, I still think that if you're up and you can survey the field better, certain things, it's just better to stand up as a, as a wide receiver. It's more effective in the uh, long did, run. Did you know that Johnny held the world record for the 40-yard indoor, indoor, indoor no, dash? 50, 50 dash in, indoor? informal record, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it, it is interesting because, you know, not a lot of time to speak translated into being a good football player. And when I look at some of the numbers you had, I, you had a great year in 64, too. So who fed who? Did you feed passes for Ditka, or did Ditka feed passes for you? Well, I think it's back and forth. Both of us did the same for the, each other. But the thing was, Mike and I were usually, we were usually on the same side of the field. I, I was strong side. Yeah. So it was hard for the teams to double both of us. When, we're, when you have a strong tight end with the wide receiver, it was hard to double. You can only double one guy. You can't double both guys. So that was one of the strengths we had in our team. There's a quote from Rick Caceres that always rings with me. He said, if you were a bear, you were a king in Chicago. Did you feel that way back in 1963? I guess it's better what bars you hung out in. <laughs> no, it was great. It really was. Uh, we used to go to a place called The Cottage. That, that's what I really remember. Freddie Hattenberg had a place down there. All the Cub, Cubs used to go there and a bear flare right down on Clark Street, uh, on North Clark Street. And uh, God, every, I mean, on a Sunday night, I mean, the place would be packed. It would, and everybody would come to see the bear flares. You know, Mike Ditka, I remember watching films. He is the only guy that I can remember that I saw on many occasions throw a block, cut a guy down, and immediately roll over and get the next guy. Because usually, when you have a block to make and you make your block, you know, you look up and, hey, you, I did my job. He had that natural instinct, just go for the second block. And how many times do you see a guy make a second block in, in one play, right, Bob? I used to see you block, Johnny. That's why we, we called you Sneaky. <laughs> because he would go down the field and there'd be pass caught by somebody else and he would sneak up behind the defensive back and get down on all fours so when the guy turned around he'd fall over John. <laughs> Bob, what, what was the Bears' signature play of that, that year? For, for offensive line, uh, what type of running play was your signature play? Running play? Probably the quarterback sneak. I think we scored more <laughs> touchdowns with the quarterback. I saw you running in that game a few times. <laughs> uh, Bill yeah. Wade, didn't he score yeah, both two. touchdowns on yeah. quarterback sneaks after throwing to Mike for a couple of key plays? Yeah. Yeah, we had a sweep. We had an off-tackle play, and we had, a, we had a fullback right up the middle. I don't remember a whole hell of a lot of plays that we had. It wasn't too complicated. Yeah. I know we had one where the tackle and the tight end, I blocked down, a tackle came out, we kicked out. It was interesting. <laughs> All right. Tell us about that defense, gentlemen, because 10 points a game it allowed. That's it in 1963. How great was the 63 defense? I, you know, I, I can't win in this. I, 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 I think it was the best. I really do. I think it was the best. Well, you only give up 10 points. Hello? Those, those guys were trying to score. Our defense and, and was unbelievable. I mean, people don't remember back and remember how Joe Fortunato and Bill George and those guys, they were good. They were really good. J.C. Carolina, I can go on and on. Rosie Tatler, that, they were good football players. They were really good. They, they, they didn't get the acclaim that they would get today, no. We have Bill George, Doug Atkins. I mean, uh, Mike, you're the, you're a really good judge. You played on that team, and you also coached the 
the Super Bowl team. Yeah. Could you compare the, Bear, the Bears' 63 defense to the 85 defense? Well, you know, I, that would be unfair to both, but uh, I'm just glad I was a part of the 63 thing because uh, those guys were good. I mean, Richie Pettibone, I mean, he, he was bigger than me, and he played safety. He's 6'4". <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's bigger than me, and he weighed more, too. And then we had... Uh, Benny who, McRae was as fast as a cat. Little, who was a little uh, pain, pain in the ass uh, uh, cornerback? Benny McRae? Who? Or Dave Witzel? Witzel, Witzel, yeah. Dave, Dave Witzel. <laughs> yeah, he was good. How were, how were the... Pre you know, we, we are fortunate to practice against the 85 defense, and we practice live most times. How, what was the tempo of practice back against the team that, of, of the 63 against, against defense? The, yeah, well, we, we, we never really had difficult practices, to be honest with you. It was just more or less walk-through plays and all that stuff. Once the season started, we really didn't hit. hit. That's interesting. Yeah, coach, I thought George Hallis raised you as a coach. You're killing us in practice, and when you were going through walk-throughs? No, this was for us, yeah. That didn't hurt him. Look at him. Um, that is funny. I never realized that you guys didn't. You, you, you know, going that back way. to that, the '63 defense. There's no question yeah. that that they were were excellent, and the offense really wasn't that potent. So whenever they get the you know get the ball, and we'd go on the field, Ed Obadovich used to tell us, "Okay, guys, hold them." <laughs> You know, Doug Atkins, I, they didn't count sacks in those days. Uh, Doug Atkins, I bet if they went back and looked at his 13-year career and checked, I, I wonder how he would rate on sacks because it seemed like he had three, three or four sacks a game to me. Well, he said uh, once that he thinks he would have had 25 sacks in one year. So it is a shame that you, they didn't keep that statistic. By the way, that team picture that was put up, uh, 26 players and coaches on that uh, team photo right there. Again, coaches included, and former Bears players that became coaches were ranked in Don Pearson and Dan Pompey's top 100 list. So that's quite a testament to the quality on that team, gentlemen, mm -hmm. including Either all that three or they of you were guys. Poor judges, one of the two. No, <laughs> not at all. I'll tell you what, of all the things on that team, I remember one thing. We had the best damn punter I've ever seen in Bobby Joe Green. He could punt the football. I mean, really, unbelievable. And I was a punter in college, so I come out, and Hallis uh, had me out there punting. I'm standing next to this guy punting. I'm going, hey, I can't punt with this guy. He was unbelievable. He, and he was, a, a, you know, people don't think of the, the punter, a big part of that team. Changed field position for us a lot of times by just the way he punted the ball. But his big strong suit was, it was a hang time of his punts. Oh, yeah. He'd be over 40 yards, but it'd be so high right. that you, the, the, kick, the, the, the team would be able to get down there for the defense before the ball would. He's the second best punter I can ever remember in the NFL, next to the Ray Guy. Ray Guy, yeah. yeah Ray Guy. You know, um, when Mr. Buckus was on before, he said that Doug Atkins never worked out. And if he would have worked out, he would have been the Superman of the NFL. Did any, were any of you guys introduced to weights at that time or any type of fitness or when was your introduction to fitness and weights? Well, actually it came uh, after the 63 season. I think in 63 when Clyde Emmerich joined the team, yeah. uh, we were doing uh, isometric exercises. Yeah, the one guy that did, it was Stan Jones. I remember him. Yeah. Right. yeah, he did work out and he had a weight program and everything. And a few guys got involved in it, but uh, I'll be honest, most of us didn't do Mike, it. did you ever? Did you ever commit to the weight room? Uh, only when I was with the Cowboys, but no, not with the Bears. No, no. we didn't do all that much. But it saved my career in <clears throat> Dallas. I got in great shape in Dallas. You know, that's a whole different thing. And uh, if the weight's on your legs, uh, we were told, and I uh, agree with it, that if you want to maintain quickness and speed, you don't build up the muscles in your yeah. legs. You've got to be kind of lithe, you might say, especially uh, offensive players, receivers, and backs and stuff that. So some guys do kind of overdo that, uh, I think, in this day and age. Bob, did you finish your career the same way you started your career? Uh, no. Actually, uh, 
the weight was a real problem with the bear. Hallis used to be have a real fixation on, on weights. He would give everybody an assigned weight, and uh, every Thursday he would have a weigh-in of the whole team. And if you're more than three pounds over your assigned weight, he would fine you $50 a pound and take it out of your paycheck. So on Wednesday nights, every uh, uh, steam room in, in the city of Chicago was occupied by bear players trying to sweat off the weight. So, uh, and they did all kind of shenanigans to try to fix the scales and everything else, but nobody ever was there. They tried getting fish string, invisible fish string, so the guys would stand on the scale and hold on the string or stuff, stuff underneath, you know. But uh, I started out at 249, and uh, as I got older, I, I was in the, in the steam room myself. Uh, I finished up about 255. Uh, for me, it was just the opposite. I only weighed at 178. So when I was a rookie and we started weighing in, I had two, two two-pound lead weights that I put under my, in my armpits, because you had a great thing. I wanted to be over 180 so that uh, Mr. Hollis wouldn't think I was, uh, you know, too small. So I used those weights for the first year until I made the team, and then I, I stopped doing it. But it worked. Tom did that. Yeah, but when I, my last year I played for the Miami Dolphins, and I had a hard time keeping my weight on because we practiced in 80-degree weather every time. So we used to wear these girdles underneath our pads, and I would take and stick a 10-pound plate in the back of my girdle and then get on the scale, and the guy weighing me in goes, damn, you're thick for a little guy. And so, you know, it's just trying to, whatever, however you could get that weight, you could. Yeah, Ditkin never had a problem. He always used to wear a, wear a uh, rubber uh, shirt over under his pads whenever he practiced. So he was always wet. He had to lose 10 pounds of practice or whatever. It, it worked, huh? Did you ever get fined for weight? Did he fine you guys if you were under or overweight? He fined yeah. people. I, I, I never got fined for it, but he fined people. Yeah, well, yeah, you got to make your weight. I mean, we had guys like Herman Lee. I mean, we had guys that couldn't make their weight. Didn't we have to run the mile the first day that we got there? In Red Salir. In Red Salir? We, we had to run we had a mile under six minutes. Or you had to keep running it. Yeah. Let's you know, training, training camp back in the day in Rensselaer, did you guys go to training camp for six or seven weeks at a time? That's right. Rensselaer, Indiana, the armpit of the nation. Yeah. Yeah. We would be there six days a week. Yeah. We, we never got, we trained for, we'd get there about the middle of July and not leave camp yeah. until after yeah. September. Yeah. I think if I remember, like we were there almost three weeks before we played a preseason game, weren't we? Yeah. 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 And we only great. got Sunday, sun, one practice on Sunday but the rest were two days, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah. But you know, again, the first time I ever went to training camp with the Bears, we went 22 straight days of doubles in full pads every practice with conditioning and weightlifting. <laughs> so all these things that the great George Hallis, I, we, we were hoping they would, you know, some of that yeah. would come off on Mike Ditka. I learned from the best. Yeah, you did. I you know, I, I did want to, I wanted to ask you this coach because 250 North Washington, come up here and I'll kick your ass. The roller dome, get your mouth shut. All of these quotes by you as a head coach, would George Hallis say that? Did what? So during your, your time as a head coach, us at some of your press conferences in your radio show, you told one guy, hey, well, I'm I, 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 I was nuts. I mean, come on. I was certified to be crazy. So you can't go by any. I was out of touch with reality for about 20 years. Now I'm back in touch with reality. I'm a pretty good guy now. But I was a pain in the ass then, I know that. So I mean, that's life. So like he said, what were your, what were your initial impressions of Mr. Hallis? All three of you, share a story. We'll start with Mike. And, you know, he brought you back twice. Well, the, the first time I, I met him, of course, they were, they were uh, 163 West Madison, I guess, or wasn't it? Yeah. And so I, uh, I came in from Pittsburgh on a plane. I got in a cab, 
and I drove down to 163 West Madison, and uh, I went up and I saw a man named Dallas. And he's the guy who started the National Football League. And you got to realize, he was, he was, he was really uh, considered to me, he was an old man. I was 21 years old. And uh, I went into the office, and, uh, uh, and I mean, the conversation was kind of amazing. I was a sixth six player picked in the first round, and he said, uh, I'm going to pay you uh, $12,000 with a $6,000 signing bonus. This is what he told me. And I knew what my dad made working in the mill. I said, hey, man, hey, I'll take that, coach. So I had a real good year, made all pro and everything. And uh, I came back next year, and I said, I, thought I was looking to get a big contract. And he says, uh, I'm going to pay you 14000 this year. I said, Coach, I made 16 last year. He said, No, you made 12. I said, Oh. So I took the contract for 16. I mean, that's just the way it was. And I was happy to have it. And we all had another job. Everybody had another. You had another job. I had, you had another. We all had another job. What was your other job? Uh, well, I sold for everybody. I don't, nobody really remembers, but I sold. I would sell bullshit if I could. Anything. How about you? Mr. Hallis. Mr. Hallis, probably uh, he gave me uh, an opportunity. Uh, I was a, uh, in those days, in 1959, there were only uh, 12 teams in the NFL, and there were only 38 players on a squad. And those are the days of the uh, college all-stars used to play the, uh, the winners of the uh, championship the, the previous season. And uh, so I was on the college all-star games, and I was drafted by the Redskins and uh, the 49th player picked. And uh, I joined the Redskins a couple weeks late, and uh, after the second exhibition game, uh, they said, goodbye, you know, here's your plane ticket home. Well, I got a call from George Hallis, and uh, he said, I was, we were in uh, North Carolina at that time at a uh, preseason game. And he said, you know, I, what do you, I'd like you to come back and, and sign with the Bears. And I said, well, I don't know what I want to do. You know, I joined the Marines. I was very disappointed. So he said, well, you got to come through Chicago anyhow. You're back home to Minneapolis. He says, stop by and let, let's talk. So he said, uh, what I'll do is I'll, uh, I'd like you to sign, be, come on the taxi squad this year and uh, sign the contract for next year, and I'll give you a chance to play. Well, he gave me a chance to play, and I made it. So I played 10 years. It was uh, the greatest thrill of my life, you know, winning this championship. So to me, he gave me a great opportunity, and I was fortunate enough to be able to capitalize on it. Johnny? Well, I had an uh, unusual situation, too. I was at Santa Barbara College. doesn't have a football team anymore. And uh, our coach died. I can't remember if it's my third or fourth year, but he died. And Ed Cody, who used to be a Chicago Bear, came in as coach. They hired him as a coach. He came in as an assistant. He was an assistant when the coach died, and he took over. And in those days, they didn't have scouting systems like they have now. And I wasn't a very big player. And Ed Cody called Papa Bear Hallis and told him, he said, I got to a, a kid that he, I think can make it, make a team. So, uh, make a long story short, uh, the Bears were going to uh, pick me up as a free agent because they didn't feel they had to draft me because nobody knew about me. And sure enough, I get a telegram five days before the draft from the Green Bay Packers. And they said, we uh, were interested in you. Would you like to play for the Packers and all that kind of stuff? I gave it to Cody, and Cody called Hallis and told him, hey, the Packers are interested in Johnny. And so that changed their philosophy, and instead, I got drafted way, way down in the 12th round, but they drafted me instead of trying to sign me as a free agent afterwards. So it's one of those things, if Ed Cody hadn't been named a coach at Santa Barbara College, I might have never played pro football. You know, 
you guys all talk about your first experience with George Hallis and him telling you how much you're going to make. When did agents enter the picture, and would George Al or would George Hallis be able to accept an agent negotiating on behalf of any of you guys? No way. He would not talk to agents. No way. He would not. No. I. Uh, I. I don't know. Uh, I don't think I ever signed a contract as a player, even when I was with the Cowboys with an agent. I, I always signed on my own. Uh, when I, when I went with Coach Landry, I mean, whatever he said, it was good enough for me. I mean, I, I, I never needed an agent. What do you need an agent for? I have an agent now, but, but, but nobody wants me. So, I mean, the hell? So I, I, I got to send him out there, you know, but uh, it's okay. Do, do any of you guys remember throughout your lives or career when agents came on the scene and had the guts to sit in front of some of these great owners of the, the early part of football? I think they came in with the uh, advent of the American Football League, the AFL, when the teams were bidding against uh, the same players all the time. I know I got a call from an agent, uh, as bad as I was, to switch over to the AFL. So, that's okay. And you got an offer from the AFL, didn't you? And well, <laughs> you Houston drafted me in the AFL. So, I mean, so I, when it came time, but they, they gave me like $8,000 or 12000 I remember what it was, something like that, and uh, because they thought they were going to get me. And uh, I never went there. I got to keep the $12,000. So actually, my first year with the Bears, I made pretty good money, or my second year, whatever year it was. Because, uh, and I never had any intention of going to the Houston. Houston, but it was, it was a good bargaining thing. But you couldn't bargain with Hellas. What the hell? You weren't going to win. It didn't matter what you had. You, you said you could say anything you want. I yeah. don't do that. <laughs> uh, Al Davis contacted me, and I felt the same way. They just, I wanted to be in the NFL. And in those early days, you just, nobody even considered. I mean, the AFL got popular in the mid '60s when guys had two choices and. They started offering big money, you know, to those guys. Yeah. How about the innovation of, of George Hallis and, and his coaching staff? Eight, because you had no real idea that you were going to be a tight end. You thought you were going to be a defensive player in the National Football League. Well, that was Luke Johnson's, really, yeah. Uh, Luke, uh, and, you know, you, you can talk about all the old guys. We, we, he had a good staff, but he had a very loyal staff. Those guys were all very loyal to him. And, uh, you know, he said, he said, you're going to play tight end. I said, what the hell's a tight end? And Luke Johnson really designed the position. Because you remember, John, I mean, I lined up. I'd line up. I'd be this close to my offensive tackle. And I would try to get off on a release. The guy would jam me down inside. I couldn't get off the ball. So I, I told, I come on, I told uh, Luke, I said, I can't get off the ball. If I, if I try to go inside, he pushes me down. Or he pushes me too far outside. So I said, split open about two, three yards, he told me. And we started doing that. And then I had a two-way release. And then I thought I was pretty damn good because I could get off the line of scrimmage. And uh, it, it, was, it was Luke. I mean, Luke really created that. He, he started flexing us out a little bit. That was good. The reason why Ditka had to line up so close to the, the tackles because I was playing tackle and I needed help. <laughs> well, that's not true, Bob. <laughs> well, you know, How'd you feel about the quality of that offensive line? I mean, you guys. They were good. They were good. They were good. Remember the Packer game? Jim Cadeal said it was the best performance by an offensive line. You guys ran for 248 yards. Yeah. You remember that game? Yep, I sure do. You talking about the game we beat the Packers? Yeah. In 63? Yeah. That game was, the, the tone of that game was set when J.C. Caroline yeah. on the opening kickoff Went down and just slaughtered some. What was yeah. that? Herb Adderley. Herb Adderley. Herb Adderley was the best defensive back that yeah. I ever faced. Yeah. Him and Night Train Lane they were the best. Two best. Yeah. How about Rain Nitschke? Rain Nitschke. Ask Mike. He used to go after him. He was the meanest. He was the meanest man I've ever met. He he wasn't happy at any time in his life. I mean, really. Uh, 
I got to know him a little bit later after, uh, but uh, he, he, he absolutely tried to kill me. He tried to kill me. Didn't matter where I was, he was going to find me and he was going to hit me. It was okay, because I found him and hit him too. What about the stand-up of the middle linebacker? Because I, you know, you talk about the evolution of the great linebackers, middle linebackers throughout Chicago Bear history, but you talk about Bill George going from a stance up to a middle linebacker position. Was that a component that really allowed that position to grow? Yeah, and there's no question about it. Bill, Bill, uh, when Bill George played, he was in, he was down in three points a lot of time. So he played right over the center, and he was quicker than hell. But, uh, but then he stood up, too. But, I mean, I'm just saying, you know, we had other linebackers. Uh, Fortunato was a pretty good football player, too. So, uh, and uh, who was the other guy? Uh, Larry Morris. Who? Larry Morris. Larry Morris. Can't remember. And Joe but, Fortunato. Uh, yeah, good linebackers. We had, we, I Larry mean, Morris yeah. was the MVP of the game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Two interceptions. But when you when you watch that position, you watch the 63 game, you see him come up out of a stance, and the linebackers were shifting you know, there, there are some similarities between football today with the motions out of the backfield and the shifting of the linebacker. So there had, you know, there are those elements that are still in the game today that, you know, you guys had a chance to start. It was the whole, ele whole element about shifting is basically you're trying to distract. So you, 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 if you can confuse, I know offensive linemen are hard to confuse. Right. So you can confuse them a little bit to make him uncertain about who the hell he's supposed to block, it gives you a big edge. Because the ball's going to be snapped in hut one, hut two, hut three, period. So, you know, he didn't have the time to make up his mind. I, and, and that's what people were doing. That's all they were doing. It gives you, uh, it gives you a little advantage. Because, you know, offensive linemen aren't that smart. <laughs> wow. Bob? <laughs> Go ahead. A low blow, a low blow. <laughs> hey, let's throw up a picture of... Um, the 63 guys getting ready for a practice at Wrigley Field. How close were you guys as a team? Obviously, the team was smaller than it is today. What's everybody thinking here in this? Johnny, you're getting ready for, I guess, practice. You got Edo, Edo Bradovich in there. You got Doug Atkins. Johnny Bob's just got a manicure, obviously. He's I looking at his finger. I was just checking my fingernails what, here. When you look at that picture, does it take you back to Wrigley Field? Does it take you back to that time with your teammates and friends? Tell me, tell us what each of you feel about looking at that picture. I've always wondered what they were looking at. 74 was Kill Collin? Kill Collin, Bob Kill Collin, yeah. yeah. Well, I got most of them. I don't, I don't know what they're looking this at. This has got to be pregame. You guys, you guys are in full uniforms here. This, this, you guys don't dress that well for practice, I assume. That's got to be pregame. There was probably a band or something yeah, marching that, on the field. That, that, we that, were was watching it. that was pregame. Yeah. yeah. So, Bob, you think it's when the band was on the field? Could very well be, yeah. They used to have bands and all that stuff. What days. sticks out to me is 81. 81. <laughs> That's Doug Atkins. That was a man. Six foot eight, 290 pounds, something like that. That I think. I would really like to know how many sacks he had in his yeah. career. Always fought with Hallis. Always argued with Hallis. Dick Dick Butkus was on here just a little bit ago. Said if he actually worked out and trained, he he should have been yeah. banned from the NFL because he would have hurt people. There was one. Oh, oh! Don't get him mad, right? Oh. When I, I we, we scrimmaged the Bears when I was an All Star. And uh, I had an angle blocking, blocked out on So I got my arm in between his legs and I grabbed all his leg. I have he, a question. He, he reached down, he picked me up, and really, by the back of my shoulder, if I pulled me up, he goes, you can block me, son, but if you ever hold me, I'm gonna break your goddamn neck. I thought, yes, sir. <laughs> <clears throat> I have a question for you four, and I know a lot of the audience, some of the guys we're talking about, uh, people are young out there, they don't know, but can you, do you know who the first smaller guy in the NFL was thrown out to be a wide receiver? Who was the first guy? There's a question that anybody could answer. I'll, be, I'll give them two tickets Tommy to... Tommy McDonald. Uh, who? Tommy McDonald? He was second. Played for the Cleveland Browns. 
Bobby Mitchell. Yeah. You remember Bobby Mitchell? Oh, yeah, well, Washington? Oh, yeah. He was the first guy that they put out as a flanker, as yeah. a wide receiver that wasn't uh, six foot two, yeah. you know, or yeah. something like that. Now, now, if I'm not mistaken, Tommy McDonald, who was a Hall of Famer for the Philadelphia Eagles, they had him in mind when they moved you into different positions. Uh, a smaller, shifty guy that could play any of the receiver spots. Mm -hmm. Do you recollect that? Say that again. I, I didn't hear that. I know that it's, the sound is really difficult for everybody hard, to hear, yeah. so we apologize. So when they started to move you all over the field, yeah. it was because of how Philadelphia used Tommy McDonald. Yes, that's accurate. So, does that that's resonate with you? That's accurate, yes. It just, uh, this, they, uh, the game became more important about speed. And uh, the guys who had speed are the little guys. And uh, they found that the little guys that could take the punishment, they became great players because they had speed and ability. And you see it every day in the NFL now. The little guys are the what? Little guys excite the fans. That when you when you see a team pitcher, coach, I, I thought I remember you telling us when I played for you that Rick Caceres was one of the toughest football players that you've no, ever been. He was the toughest yes. football player I ever saw. Why? Well, I'll tell you one thing. When he he used to uh, he was kind of a prize prize fighter, and when Marciano retired, they wanted Rick to try to become heavyweight champion. He was a mean son of a gun. I was in a place up on, uh, it wasn't the cottage, it was a place up on uh, uh, Clark Street one night, and uh, he, Patty was his girlfriend, Patty Counts, and uh, yeah. somebody, somebody said something to Patty, and I never seen anything like it. I mean, I, I was scared he was gonna kill the guy. I mean, and, uh, I mean, he, he was mean now. And he, he was the nicest, even-tempered guy in the world. But if he got pissed off, wow. Woo. Were you with the team yet when, he, when, he, when they, we got in a, a brouhaha with Detroit, over in Detroit? And we saw in the game films afterwards, Rick, Rick had walked out on the oh, field. Yeah. And, everything, yeah. and he decked uh, that yeah. linebacker from, Green Bay, uh, from uh, Detroit. Detroit. And he just walked off yeah. the field. Yeah. And we didn't know it until after we watched the game film. Well, they tell a story. They tell a story when he was in Florida, when he was in college, that uh, after the game, he went in and they'd say, lock the, door, the locker room door to the other team. And he said, anyone, one at a time or all of you? Come on. I don't know what happened. But I mean, those are stories they tell. I don't know if they're true. But how, Rick Asseris was the toughest guy. I mean, to me, he was anyway. How did that translate to the football field? That toughness of, because how did it translate to what what he had to do on well, the field? Rick's, Rick's greater, better days were ahead, behind him, but he still was tough. I mean, he, you know, he, he he was he was a grinder at the time I got to know him. But, but when he when he was early in his career, he was a hell of a running back. I mean, do a played lot of through things. some real bad injuries all the time. He's really a tough guy, really tough. So you guys win the '63 championship. You're the toast of the city. How were you received by Mayor Daley uh, and, and that whole time after the championship? Well, they had us down at the mayor's office, remember? Uh, we went down there, a bunch of the guys, during, actually <laughs> afterwards, during the off season. But, I don't uh, think too many guys cared. I think we were on our way to get a beer somewhere. <laughs> there wasn't anything like after the Bears won the Super Bowl in uh, 85, you know. There's your quarterback, Bill Wade. Mike, why don't you tell them the story about Bukic and Wade? Rudy Bukic? <laughs> What's the story? I don't know if he wants to tell it. <laughs> I shouldn't have brought it up. Johnny, you want to tell it? No. Right. The, the time we got in trouble with, with Papa Bear on Ditka, I mean, uh, Rudy and uh, Bill Wade. Boy, your memory's going, huh? what I do? <laughs> I know I screwed up somewhere. <laughs> but, you know, at that time, you know, it, Rudy was a better football player. Yeah. I mean, there's no question about it. I mean, Bill, Bill, Bill was fantastic for us, but Rudy was, 
Rudy was talented. He could throw the football. And John will tell you, he could throw the football as good as anybody I've ever seen. After, after games, did you guys have t eval like film evaluation? Did you have that technology back then? Because I always bring up in our film evaluation with Coach Dicker running the projector, it was a humbling experience. Did you guys go through that <clears throat> same thing with George? We used to break up into units, you know, offensive line, defensive line, all that stuff. And uh, the coach would go over the game films, you know, and somebody would make a mistake. Run that back. Run that back. Look what you did, you know, so point out to everybody. So it was kind of a humbling experience. Didn't say too much when you made a great block, but when you missed something, it was really pointed out. All right, before Gale Sayers, Willie Gallimore. How great was he? How hard was 1964 after what happened? Well, I think that ruined our season. I think we were planning on repeating as, as champions. And uh, uh, when they got killed, it just kind of took the wind out of our sails. What happened, it was on a Sunday. And uh, we were in Rensselaer, of course. And on Sunday, they served no liquor in, in Indiana. We were always accepted at the uh, Rensselaer Country Club. So a bunch of us fellas went out to the country club and have, have a beer or two. And uh, Willie and uh, John Farrington uh, went, came and brought the pizzas for everybody. So they had a, a Volkswagen with a sunroof that was open. And uh, we all just stayed there for a little while, watched TV, and had, had the pizzas. And, we left for camp, left for camp. Well, they took a different road back, and uh, right after that, we, after we left, and uh, about an hour later, it came news that they had missed a curve uh, driving back on the highway, and both of them had gone through the roof of the Volkswagen and were killed. And uh, that was probably the most difficult thing I've ever had to experience in going to that wake at, uh, in, in Rensselaer and, and that season. We wore badges on our, our, our jerseys that year, and uh, I think that was a constant reminder of their presence and what we missed, and I think it just had a deflating effect on us the whole year. Johnny, how good of a player was Willie? How, how great of a player was Willie Gallimore? Oh, Willie, was, uh, he had speed, boy, he had a... Uh, a, a, a that second gear too had a great second gear. He wasn't quite as quick right out of the gate as like a, like a Sayers, you know. But he had that second gear. If he got open, nobody was even going to be come close to him. You know, I've had uh, played with I played with Sayers, and I covered Peyton, and I've covered a lot of. I remember Jimmy Brown, all these great running backs. And I like to say the best way to explain the, the greatest backs of all time, you try and figure out who it is. And the best way I could say is that if I wanted any running back for a season, I'll take Walter Payton, the greatest ever. If I want a player for one play, I'll take Gale Sayers for one play, Gale Sayers. And you can talk about Jimmy Brown and talk about OJ and talk about a lot of these great players, but I think it's one thing that Chicago Bears are noted for a lot of great players, especially on defense, but they had some pretty darn good offensive players, right? And there's one right over there, yeah. That's pretty good, John. Was he, was a guy like Willie Gallimore, you know, one thing about Walter Payton, you know, we had the designated play call. It would make an impact in the defense for two or three yards and let Walter display his greatness. A guy like Willie Gallimore, was he, was your, was your offense, Bob, was it designed to that specific or did you, did you have a freedom of choice? Well, we ran the plays that were called. I think, uh, I don't think Willie had an inordinate number of plays called like they would for Walter Payton or somebody like that, but he was, the, the key to his, his running style was he had a very long stride. And, he, you know, in a way, Gail Sears was that way, too. And they'd be able to change directions into very, you know, very, very quickly. Yeah, Gail was 
you know, more quicker cutting and, and open field than Willie was. But Gallimore, boy, I never saw anybody so fast once he got through the line of scrimmage, you know. All right, we got some fan questions we're going to bring out here in a second. Uh, you guys stayed in Chicago after your playing careers and started your second careers. Johnny became a, a famous TV sportscaster here in town. Did you love that part of your life, being a sportscaster? Oh, yeah, it's great fun, especially uh, being, being able to cover the sport that you played, you know, and uh, uh, kind of went through generations of bears. That's one of the things here. When I came here, I had a, a bigger problem remembering faces and, and names because I had every decade to worry about because I either played with them or covered them until the last 20 years, you know. But, but uh, that's, uh, it's been a good life. What was it like interviewing Mike after games? Oh, you know, we, we used to... <laughs> Hey. We'd either go to... Uh, Don't go there. <laughs> we, did, we, we did a lot of those Sunday night shows uh, when I was a little under the weather. That's, sometimes on the Bears Extra, we used to have fun. I mean, they were famous. Those interviews were legendary yeah, sometimes, right? Well, they were better when we won than when we lost. I know that. But he, he, was, he, was, a, he was a fair journalist, right? No, he was. No, he was great. He was great. He was great. He was a bright, shining light in Chicago at that time. <laughs> was, it, was it hard to separate, though, the friendship you guys forged in, as being players together, then all of a sudden you're on a kind of a different professional stage than a professional playing field? Well, I, 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 don't, I never looked at it that way. I'm sorry, but I never looked at it that way. I mean, uh, John was my friend, and uh, he had a job, and he did his job, and... I did my job, and sometimes it didn't work. But you know what? I know, I know us as players that we would watch that show just hoping that you wouldn't say anything mean about us. And if we got through the Johnny Moore show without Coach Dick is saying, then, okay, you could maybe might get through the film session the next day. I never said the offensive line stunk. No, we, we had a... No, it was fun. I had a lot of fun doing that show with John. I really did. And I tell you what. I bet you that was one of the best received shows in Chicago television. No, we had uh, the ratings. The ratings were astronomical, and uh, people uh, they loved Mike Ditka. They loved the Bears, and uh, he's entertaining, as we know. Well, it was a great time. It was a great period of time. Did you enjoy being a called a commentator on the network for games? Yeah, that was uh, doing network games was 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 fun i was always happy if i got uh to do a bear game you know I, when you work for a cbs network and i'm in chicago uh, i did my local sports casting and then on the weekends i would go do games and i would always want to do bear games but i didn't always get the bear games sometimes the bears were playing uh here and i'm doing a game of you know, Detroit Lions against Minnesota and have to fly back and do Bears extra and stuff when I hadn't even seen the Bear game. You know, uh, it, it can be, it, it could be a hassle. So, but th that's the nature, nature of the beast, right? All right, some fan questions. This is from Amanda and Schomburg. What was it like playing at Wrigley Field? I never Store. ran into the goalpost, did you? Did you ever run into the goalposts? No, I'm sure the receivers did, though. The, the goalposts were on, on the goal line in those days, and neither of the end zones was actually 10 yards deep. One ended up at the wall, and the, and the, and the north end zone was just short of, of 10 yards. And they ran into the brick wall, the, you know, the uh, left field wall. Did, did that affect your goal line offense or even the type of pass plays you guys would run from the five-yard line in? I don't know. You ever go in the dugout on the first base side? I think I went in there one time, accidentally slid in there after catching a pass. Uh, you know what? It, it, it was close, but it was great. I mean, I thought it was great. The fans were right on top of you. They were right on top of you. You know, you. Uh, I, I thought it was a great place to play football. I really did. Was it? Was it half the year infield for you, and then they did? They, did they go to all grass, or was it infield all year round? Well, they, they, they started the infield after 
You know, when you played your first couple games, it was great, uh, dirt, but they sodded it. Then it was terrible. We Sodded never had, because the Cubs played yeah. until late September, yeah. we always had to play on the road the first yeah. two yeah. or three games. But uh, that, it was a great field. They sodded it, and it never came up when we played. You know. And then Brandon from Oak Park, what was the best lesson you all learned from Coach Alice? Bob, you're laughing. <laughs> Don't swear. Be on, be on time, pay attention, and play like hell. Best lesson, to watch your pennies. I, when he signed me, he said, John and we're gonna, uh, we like you, we want you to play for us and everything. We're gonna give you our $6,000. And that was the NFL minimum. So I had a pretty good year, and I thought I was gonna get a raise. He offered me 7000 the next year. You know, that's, that was Papa Bear George Hallis. He told me to watch my pennies, and that's what I do. Was anybody on making money? Was it, well, like, who was the guy that walked in the locker room and said, wow, th this guy's making some coin, or this guy's... No, nobody knew what everybody was making. Uh, everybody, actually, everybody kept it, it to themselves. It really, it really happened with, with uh, Sayers and Butkus, right? That's when yeah. the big money started, yeah, yeah, when yeah. they came in. When yeah. they came in... Two years after you win a championship, did you guys think, wow, we're going to win another one? Well, we, we were a pretty good team in, uh, in 65, and we didn't win it. We got beat out by Baltimore, I believe. But uh, on a controversial I, 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 call, remember that Ray Berry? Yeah. Yeah. But it's, uh, we, were, we, were, we were a good team in 65, no question about it. But uh, we didn't win it. We had Sears, and we had uh, Rudy Bukic as quarterback. I said Rudy Bukic was quarterback and right. Sears was the running back. So yep. we, I think that's the first time we, the Bears have ever led the league in uh, offense for the year, for the season. And then last question from Ryan in Wrigleyville. Do you guys like the direction of the way the league is going here in 2019? The league? Yeah. Sport. With well, social, making, social media. Are you media? kidding me? They're making a lot of money. Are you kidding me? Hell, play sports today, you make a lot of money. I mean, these guys should never have to work a day in their life. They should be set for life if they take care of it. And, and that's great. I'm glad to see that. I'm glad to see them making that kind of money. Because it's a tough game. You get hurt, and you can, you can be screwed up for your whole life. But uh, no, I, I just hope, I hope they appreciate what they got. Because it's not going to be there forever. But, but while you got it, Put it away, save it, and when you're done playing, you won't have to work anymore. What I don't like is all the uh, the instant replay. I mean, the uh, timeouts to for the referees reviewing the referees' calls. Now they're getting more uh, more calls for uh, controversial pass interference and all that type of stuff. It's just delaying the game, and it just makes it, makes it bad for the the fans to sit, particularly at the uh, games, to sit on their hands while they don't know what's going on. I forgot the question. The state of the league right now. Are you excited this where is, the NFL is I got hit in the head a couple of times. What, what was the question? He, he was asking, Johnny, if, if you're excited the direction the league is going. The different aspects, either end zone celebrations, the whole social media involvement, the you know replays by officials, all those elements. Uh, I think uh, it's just it's society changes. Every generation changes. And so the way it's going, it's... It's all right with me. I think it's fine. Uh, guys want to celebrate in the end zone and, and whatever. It's just that you almost have to accept what's changing. Just look at the, this is my own opinion. Everybody's got computers now. Everybody's got iPhones now. And all this hacking that's going on, all these things that are happening. Baltimore, the city of Baltimore got hacked. They're hacked and they, they have to pay money to get unhacked. It's like, I'm going to give you an example. You remember when auto racing was getting, they were going faster and faster at the Indianapolis 500, faster. Pretty soon they, had, they started having a lot of accidents when I was covering it because they were getting too fast. So what did they do? They put limits on the horsepower. And so they've really cut down. 
They knew man couldn't control it anymore. Man could not control the speed, so they cut back on it. Now, what's happening with computers and iPhones and all this stuff, we can't control it anymore. It's getting out of hand. And what is, what is it going to be like? I mean, you know, everybody that has computers, you know what's going on. And I just wonder how it's all going to end up. I don't know. It just kind of scares me. Interesting time, indeed. All right, we're out of time. The 63 championship team, Mike Ditka, Bob Wataska, Johnny Morris. Thank you, everybody. Thank you guys very much.